Welcome, welcome to the No Regrets Podcast. Better late than never, I guess. So I'm not going to lie, I recorded a podcast a few days ago, or so I thought, and about an hour in, I realized that I forgot to click record. Fucking suck, dude. I open up the program, it doesn't say stop recording, it says start recording, and then I'm like, fuck. And I guess it was bound to happen, but, you know, that shit really fucking sucks. And you know what else sucks? Amber Heard's acting. But what I meant to say is people's common sense when it comes to fucking lines, dude. So, I was at Costco the other day, waiting to check out on the self-checkout lane. And mind you, there are two lanes, right? One for self-checkout and one for the cashier. I had a few things in my cart, maybe some tampons and water or whatnot. And then this couple just cuts me and about 30 other people waiting in line. And mind you, it's packed in this fucking Costco. I'm talking prime time, hot as fuck, gas prices are through the fucking roof. And that's when I instantly asked my friend, in a sarcastic manner, obviously, did this motherfucker just cut us in line? And <laughs> that's when my friend proceeded to merge on the cashier lane to avoid any problems. And the couple who cut us was like, oh, were you on the fucking line? Like, bitch, not only was I on the line, but look behind you, you dumb motherfucker. There's like fucking 30 other fucking people there. Well, that's what I should have said, but I kind of let it slide with a simple, I was on the line, you fucking asshole, and then proceeded to the cashier lane to avoid confrontation, obviously. And dude, shit like this is always fucking happening to me, and it seems like every time I get into a line, it's always fucking something. And people act like they fucking never stood in the line before. And another thing, when it says 10 items or less, don't pull up with a cart with even one more item than the limit because that's a fucking asshole move and people can fucking learn how to use self-checkout lanes for once, alright? How come when I use a self-checkout lane, it takes one minute, but when I'm next up and waiting for a self-checkout to be open, it seems like everyone forgets where they left their wallet. Or even worse, they send someone to grab something last second and have the line fucking waiting all day. And speaking of lines, I was at the Nike store the other day, and for some reason, you still have to wait in line outside the store to get in because of COVID protocols, and it's about a 30-minute wait, I would say. And mind you, I live in New Jersey, and it's starting to get fucking hot outside. Like I'm talking, I'm wearing fucking lotion, sweat dripping in my eye, it's fucking burning, and I just want to get into the store so I can look around and probably buy nothing. But anyways, these tatted up guys, these tatted up, I guess, wannabe gangsters pull up while I'm like 20 minutes into waiting in the line, and of course, they cut my friend and I. And at first, I'm like, here we go again, and then I instantly analyzed the situation and knew that I could probably beat their ass, you know, but I let it slide and gave them the benefit of the doubt, because, you know, maybe someone was holding their place in line or something. But then again, I looked around, and no one even acknowledged these crackheads. And of course, they just fucking reeked of fucking weed, dude. The worst part is that, you know, they let the next five people get into the store, and guess who was the cutoff point? Me, of course. I had to wait outside for like another 10 minutes and looking back, I probably should have said something to these people or probably it was in my best interest to keep it pushing because in a fight, you know, I had it easy, but if they pull out a shank or a gun or something, it's like instant regret probably going through my head and some people are just fucking assholes and not worth your time, you know? All right. Well, anyways, enough about me. Let me take a voicemail real quick. Hi. Um, so this is my first time here. I'm 26. And a couple months ago, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. I'm here because I feel like everyone in my life doesn't understand. And I put on a brave face in front of them to make them comfortable with my diagnosis. But in all honesty, I'm struggling. It's hard to have everything change so quickly in my life. The last two months, surgery 
with two infections. I started chemo, and I'll be going through chemo for five months. I have to have the strongest stuff, which I guess is a good thing, because it's going to help me. But um, my identity really was with my beautiful long hair that was down to my waist. And that's gone. I don't recognize myself. And I don't know how to tell the people around me that I'm struggling. So instead, I am happy in front of them and I put on a smile. And in some ways, that helps me. Oh, kind of like fake it till you make it. But I'm sad and I'm scared because my nails are turning black. And I think they're going to fall off. I have a lot of bone pain. I went from in, you know, March, I was extremely active and I was in the gym all the time with my friend. And I was deadlifting damn near close to 300 pounds. We were really working on our strength. And now I can't even walk uphill without being winded. Everything's just changed so much. Thank you for for listening and giving me somewhere to kind of let it out. <sighs> that fucking sucks. That fucking sucks. I feel a bit better. Okay. Bye. I mean, what is there really to say to something like that? It's fucking unfortunate that shit like this actually happens. How can your life change so drastically, so fucking quick? One second you're at the gym, deadlifting, damn near 300 pounds with your friend, chilling, having a great time. You look good, you feel good, you got nice long hair. And then the next day, you got stage 3 cancer, stage 4 cancer. Forgot what she said, but damn, it's kind of hard too to be the stronger person in your household. You know, when you're at your weakest, you feel like you have to be at your strongest at the same time. Try to get through something like that, and it sucks that you're still having a hard time, you know, telling the people around you how you really feel. They should be the ones who are there for you and who are the strong people there for you to support you, but it seems like it's the opposite way right now. It seems like you're the one who's trying to tough it out for them. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm going through shit with my little illnesses that I've had in my past, and then it, it all put, gets put in perspective when I hear something like this. Uh, you said that you can't even fucking recognize yourself. That's mind-blowing to me. Just, you said your nails are turning black. You're losing your hair. You feel weak. You can't even climb a hill anymore. And I hope that you're a miracle case where I've definitely heard cases where certain types of cancer are treatable. It seems like you're kind of deep into it, but you know, there is always a possibility of saving yourself. And it sucks that you have to even feel some type of comfort from sharing this to an anonymous website instead of you know relying on the people around you for you know affirmation and in your case you seem like a bright person you know you have a lot to say it seems like getting stuff off your chest is really helping you and i guess if i were in your situation and yeah i hate to even fucking say that and excuse my ignorance but i guess i would just try to make the most of it and try to leave behind and you know this is obviously worst case scenario i'll just try to leave behind some positivity or whatever's on your mind and tell the people around you how you really felt at the time you know basically a journal go day by day and just say it how it is you know sometimes it's easier to write things down than to say it out loud personally i've had one instance where a family member had cancer i was very young at the time i'm not going to say who it was directly 
not that it matters but um yeah they had stage four stomach cancer and you know that's pretty rough they obviously went the chemo route i know some people go the natural remedy route like for example steve jobs went the natural remedy route they didn't go too well for him i believe he had like pancreatic cancer or something where he tried oh there's a cop siren Hopefully you can't hear that. Well, anyways, Steve Jobs had a um, he had pancreatic cancer and he went the natural remedy route, I believe, and it didn't really work for him. And supposedly his version of a uh, cancer that he had, I'm not sure if it was pancreatic, but um, his version at the time was very, very treatable. And for some reason he decided to go the natural way. And you know, to each its own. But it kind of sucks that he had to go like that. But anyways, I was talking about uh, my own personal experience. So a family member of mine or an acquaintance, I would say had stage four stomach cancer and i remember going to see him from time to time and you know he was still you know doing his day-to-day -day thing as much as he could obviously he felt weak i could just see it in and that's the first time that i've seen somebody just get the literal life sucked out of them they just turned pale brittle skinny they're wearing the same clothes sort of as they were you know prior but it's all so loose and, and this person was very religious you know made the most of it to the end i guess he always prayed i know some people don't believe in god or whatever but you know it's at least nice to have something to look forward to i guess when you're at your worst you know but anyways i was at his house and i remember he told me he had a daughter he told me that if she ever needed any anything that he would expect for me to be there for her and you know, that's some uh, big shoes to fill. And those are some very impactful words that I think about from time to time. And you know, I try to help whenever I can. But obviously, I can't even imagine how it feels to grow up without your father or mother. I haven't really experienced that. Never will. You know, to each its own. Everybody has their story of sorrows. And I guess that's what life is about, you know? But with that said, that reminds me of this one time where... Uh, I was at my uncle's house. I was probably like eight or nine years old. And this was like my first encounter with, I would say, um, God or something. Or some presence. Or maybe it was just my imagination. Who knows? But I guess I was very religious at the time. Um, not so much now. You know, I haven't been to church in years. But at the time, you know, I was going to church school every Sunday. I was doing the whole Catholic confirmation, uh, first communion, all that shit, right? And... That was the peak of my, I guess, religious experience. And anyways, I was at my uncle's house. They were babysitting me. I guess I was just watching wrestling or something on the TV. And I was like, you know, being a little kid, I just went to them. They were cooking it up in the kitchen. I was like, yo, I want to go to the park. I want ice cream. Let's go to the store. I want, to, I want you to buy me toys, you know, typical kid shit. And then I think I just cursed at them or something. I was like, oh, fuck you then or some shit. And then I ran into this room. And mind you, this room had this big painting. All right, it wasn't a big painting. It was like a big printout of uh, like Jesus Christ. I remember it was like a purple picture of Jesus Christ. Just a headshot of him with like a thorn little, uh, what do you call that? Like a thorn crown around his head. Mind you, his eyelids are closed, right? And then that's when I stared dead at the picture, dead at the eyelids of uh, Jesus Christ, God. I forget which one it is. I think it's Jesus Christ. Stare at the eyelids. And then I just start going crazy like... I was probably like, oh, religion is bullshit, fuck you. It's like, if you were real, then I would have been able to get my ice cream, this, that, and the other. And then that's when I saw it, dude. I felt I felt like something take over my body almost. And then I seen the eyelids just open up. I, all I see is like this fucking like flash of light. And there was just these piercing eyes just staring at my soul. And that's when I ran to my uncles just crying. They were in the kitchen still. And then I, I was just crying. I couldn't even get the words out. 
and that's when they're like what happened what happened and then i'm like oh i saw the picture i saw the picture or whatever and then they were like oh did he open his eyes and then i'm like yeah and then in my head i'm thinking like like how the fuck do these people know that you know that i saw that that i experienced that they weren't in the room and you know it's just beyond me i guess that's an experience that was shared between me and them and maybe i was just imagining shit or maybe it actually did happen and there's another small instance or story i guess that i had it was more like a sleep paralysis story where i had woken up one night and this was like my first encounter with sleep paralysis i couldn't really i didn't know what to what it was really i couldn't move i knew i was awake or so i thought i was awake and then i just felt this pressure to like overtake me i didn't know how to snap out of it and then i was just losing my breath little by little until i think i just fucking passed out to be honest and then i woke up again same thing couldn't move but then this time i couldn't even like mind you i can't move i'm looking straight up in the fucking ceiling and then i just feel something grab my leg and just start pulling me little by little little by little until i just fell out of my fucking bed and that's when i regained consciousness and i stood up there was obviously nothing there but everything just felt numb and tingly you know when you get pins and needles it felt just like that and then i went to bed i was just fine after that but you know ever since that day and it's been years probably since i actually remember a dream of mine and i don't know if that's because of my lack of sleep or i'm just fucking like traumatized from that one experience but anyways that's like a few of my ghost encounters i have a few more but i'll say that for another time i guess actually i remember or at least i think i remember when i was like probably like seven or eight years old my mom went to this like witch like she was into witchcraft like she wasn't into witchcraft but she went to like this witch i guess you would say um it was like 40 minutes out from where we're at well anyways i remember it was nighttime we went over to the witch's house mind you my mom felt terrible at the time she just felt back aches she just felt like anemic she just wasn't herself right so she knew something was wrong and so she called her mom which lives in a third world country not a third world country but she lives in a different country right and uh her mom was like oh you must be cursed obviously right she like drowned that into my mom's head that oh you have to be you must be cursed you got to go to a witch to do this whole ritual in order to get decursed and then she'll be able to guide you as to who cursed you and how to get rid of the curse and how to maybe reverse the curse or whatnot well anyways we find ourselves into this witch's house somehow i guess she paid for it or something i guess it was a service but i remember i was just sitting on the couch watching wrestling again and in the distance like in the living room area of this witch's house she was just sitting with my mom and then she had like a crystal ball in front of it and dude i'm not even bullshitting when i say this but i looked over and i saw like little faces and stuff it was like right out of a fucking movie i saw like little faces and figures move around the little orb and sort of like project snippets of like what was happening in like a third person point of view like my mom could see herself damn near and see like the person who was trying like like the person was like very very faint but she could like almost see the person who was trying to like or who actually put the curse on her and long story short because i don't remember all the details i just remember being there for like 30 40 minutes and i believe i was there like twice but i remember the witch the witch's um ritual was well one we had to go buy these like white pigeons white doves or something we had to use some type of ash to like draw a cross on the back of the dove if any of you know any of this shit you know feel free to share because i don't remember most of it this has been like fucking damn near 20 fucking years since this shit happened but we had to release a dove in the middle of a cemetery and i remember accompanying accompanying my mom to go do that and then there was some ritual with um that had to do with the fucking train tracks what was it it was like she had to gather some hair or some shit 
and she had to like throw it across the train tracks at a certain time of the day i think it was like 2 3 fucking a.m but i shit you not after she did the ritual she felt great and i don't know if it was a fucking placebo it probably fucking was call it what you may but the back pain stopped the anemia stopped she just felt like a brand new person the curse has stopped and ever since then i have no or you know maybe she has gone back to the witch since but you know she hasn't told me but you know one day i'm just gonna ask her because it's been like 20 years i've never asked her since but that's what i remember could all have been a fucking dream who knows but yeah that's my experience with that all right moving on to some reddit posts it says i hit a parked car a month ago and i can't stop thinking about it so i hit a parked car a month ago but i panicked and just left the parking lot without leaving a note but it was a small scratch when i looked at my car I know how irresponsible I am for this, and I felt really bad, so I went back to the parking lot that night, but the car was gone. I was thinking about calling my insurance or calling the cops about it, but I'm currently out of state, and I can't stop thinking about it. And also, if I do get a call or something, what do I even do if I'm out of state at the moment? You know, I see this in both perspectives. I It's good that you're empathetic about it, for sure, that you actually wanted to make amends with it, but then again, you left, so it doesn't do much for you, but... um. In hindsight, it was a good at least act, I guess, or conscious act. But um, with my old car, if somebody hit it, I would have been like, yeah, whatever. But I recently bought a newer car, and if somebody hit it, I would be fucking pissed. And I would at least love if somebody would leave or have the decency to leave a note with maybe their insurance. So we can, you know, or maybe their contact information so we could exchange insurances. So I don't have to claim vandalism on the insurance because then that's a whole other fucking fee and whatnot. But then again, this is coming from the guy that when I was in high school, I would hit people's side mirrors by accident. And then I would hit every fucking turn until I got to the main road. And then I drove all the way fucking home. And I remember this one time I had tinted ass windows. So the person that parked right up against me didn't fucking know this. And it wasn't even the driver. It was the passenger fucking opened the door and slammed my shit fucking huge ass den on my door. I was fucking pissed, right? I was like, fuck it. The worst part is that their car is actually a lot was a lot newer than mine at the time. I try to take care of my shit, but shit like this is always going to happen, and you can't really be mad at it, but I really was at the time, so as soon as they went into the gym, I got out of my car, and I just started fucking slamming the fuck out of the door, of their door, it made huge dents, and then I just parked somewhere else, you know? But anyways, do whatever the fuck you want, you know? If you have the money, and you have, and you can afford it, and you don't want it to weigh on your consciousness, you know, leave your contact information for them, regardless of whether you're in-state or out-of-state, you know, your insurance is going to do the job. It's not like if you crash your car on a road trip that your insurance can't do shit, you know? Your insurance will work it out somehow, and if you can't afford it, then just leave. Fuck it, you know? Alright, here's another post. A child answered my thought. I don't really know if this belongs here, but it's such a weird but insignificant event that I need to share it. I was at a family event today, Queen's Platinum Jubilee, and unfortunately my family eat that kind of shit up. There were a few relatives I knew but hadn't spent a lot of time with. I sat away from the main celebrations with my partner and one of the kids. She was nine and took a shine to us. I thought I could smell smoke, didn't vocalize it, didn't even look up from my phone, just thought it. The girl looked up at me and said, you're right, they're having a fire next door. You can see the smoke. She then proceeded to point above the trees where there was smoke. My partner asked what she was on about and she didn't reply. I later asked my partner if I'd spoke aloud about fires and she said no. I also thought shouted her name for like 10 minutes after and got no response. So less psychic and more of a glitch. I was also sober and don't believe in the paranormal. Yeah, it's fucking weird, man. It's fucking really weird. And I could definitely relate to you in a way where, well, not directly to that, but I remember as a kid, 
I used to think that my parents could read my mind, so I would always be up to something trying to get them to read my mind, and it never worked directly for me. It seems like children have some type of intuition or connection at that time, because this isn't the first time I've heard of some shit like this, where like children are reading your mind or can tell the future, or have felt like they lived a different life or have been reincarnated and shit like that. Alright, here's another one. So this made my spine shiver, 20 year old male. So to put it in perspective, my girlfriend of two years, 19-year-old female, lost her mother unexpectedly six months before her and I met. Her mother and her were very close. They were practically best friends. Now it's New Year's Eve and we're headed to her best friend's house for a party. My girlfriend decided to wear one of the last things her mother gave to her before passing away, a pair of gold earrings. At some point throughout the night, she loses an earring. Devastated, we all retrace our every step and we do manage to find the backing to no earring. It was now 24 hours later, I'm lying in her bed by myself with no clothes on while she's in the shower. I'm reading a book when all of a sudden the fucking earring gets dropped onto my bare chest out of nowhere. I look around, nobody else in the room, nobody else in the house, just my girlfriend mindlessly showering in the room beside me. Edit, I do not have long hair, and I was not wearing a hat, absolutely zero chance it was stuck to me. I could definitely understand if it just popped up in a random place, but for it to be dropped on your chest, yeah, that's definitely some paranormal shit right there, boy. And I'm actually curious to know of a logical explanation for this like how could the how the fuck could you be reading a book and then it just magically drops on your chest the only explanation could have been that it was like in the backing of the book stuck or something maybe maybe just maybe your girlfriend actually found it that night later on in the night didn't tell you maybe because she was drinking or something put it on the bedside where you had your book maybe the earring got stuck to the book and then when you picked it up to read it slowly but surely dropped on your chest or some shit that's the only logical explanation i could have and then to fuck with you, maybe your girlfriend told you that uh, she never found it that night and that you're some type of wizard or some shit. Alright, it's about that time. Let's end the podcast with a little story. And it goes, something went wrong with my heart transplant. I've always had a weak heart. Not just physically. I've always been afraid of my own shadow. It was unsurprising when the doctors told me my heart murmur wasn't just a heart murmur. A year of tests. A year of therapy. Constant trips to the hospital. And I was finally told that it had all been for nothing. My poor weak heart wouldn't last till Christmas. It's a strange thing being told that you're dying. I didn't come to terms with it at first. I drank and I spent my money. I did reckless, stupid things because I was so damn scared. Then I got the news that a young woman called Laura had been declared brain dead and that I, the lucky chosen one, would be getting a brand new heart a week later. I drove to the hospital slowly, carefully, and readied myself for the ordeal that was to come. As I was lying in bed on the last night, the thought of Laura swirled around in my head, and it wouldn't leave me alone. It was like her name was in flashing lights every time I closed my eyes. It was wrong, I know it was, but I had to see the woman who was giving me her heart. It didn't feel right not to put a face to the one who was saving my life. I knew her name. I knew what ward she was staying on. I had overheard the two nurses discussing it. I wandered down the meandering hallways until I found what I was looking for. Taking my time, making sure I didn't miss any name. I guess I had time on my hands now. In the second to last room, she lay in bed. A woman sat on the bed next to her, holding her hand, and my own weak heart stuttered. Excuse me? I had no idea what to say to her. I'm Jenna. I'm the person, um, I'm having surgery tomorrow, and... What I assumed was Laura's mom stood up, and I could tell from the look in her eye that she knew who I was. Thank you for visiting. I know it's strange, but a part of her is going to be living on in you. I wanted to meet you. I stood there, helpless and lost for words. Laura's mother beckoned me over. Please, she said. Don't feel uncomfortable. It's what she would have wanted. 
I sat in the chair next to Laura. How did she... I broke off. It was too awful to ask. Laura's mother gave me a thin smile. She was a care worker, looked after battered wives, abused women. Last month she met a guy and, well, I suppose years of training can't help you when you're in love. She ignored the warning signs and he killed her. She dedicated her life to those who needed her. Laura's mother looked down. I don't know why I did it, but I reached over and held Laura's hand. I squeezed it. I'm so sorry. I had a boyfriend once who, he was like that too. Someone like Laura convinced me to leave. Laura's mother gave me another half smile. I could see the tears in her eyes. Then Laura squeezed my hand, tightly. She gripped me so hard that her fingernails dug into my skin. I recoiled, a look of horror on my face. Laura's mother looked at me calmly. She squeezes my hand sometimes as well. I think the doctors called it muscle spasms. Either way, there's none of Laura left in there anymore. I looked at the small crescent moons that had just started to bleed on the palm of my hand. The surgery went perfectly. I was wheeled to the recovery suite after it was over and done with. The raised wound on my chest covered by gauze. It was better if I didn't see it, I thought. I didn't need any more heart issues. I spent the first day doped up on the pain medication, eating only a little and sitting up maybe two times. It was a long process. They reassured me. Laura's mother came to visit me the day before I was due to leave. Her calm demeanor hadn't wavered, but I could see that she was suffering. She looked 10 years older and her hand shook when she gave me a hug. When are you going home? Tomorrow, I told her. Please come visit me whenever you want. I started to jot down my address for her. When out of the corner of my eye, a flash of blonde disappeared through the doorway, the same brilliant blonde as Laura's hair. Ow, I cried out suddenly. I felt like someone had sharply squeezed my hand, so hard it had almost crushed the bones. Laura's mother rushed to my side, a look of concern in her eyes. What's wrong? Is it your heart? She stumbled over the last words coming to terms with what she had said. I tried to reassure her and said I'd let the doctors know, and she left with a look of worry on her face. When I looked down, a new set of crescent fingernail marks were below the one Laura's had made, ten identical bleeding smiles. The taxi ride home was short, and before I knew it, I was back in my own flat. It felt strange to try and slot back into where I had left off. My life had been almost over the last time I had been here. I looked over the mess and the cardboard boxes, the remnants of one night where I had tearfully tried to pack and store my belongings so my parents wouldn't have to do it when I died. Laura's heart beat so strongly it felt like it would come out of my chest. It did this all the time, and I realized this is what a healthy heart must feel like. So why couldn't I shake the feeling of unease? That night, I had a dream. Laura was in her hospital bed, but her mother was gone. I could hear my heart, Laura's heart, beating in my eardrums so loudly it was painful. I tried to cover them, but my hands were pinned to my sides. Some unexplainable force was moving me towards the motionless figure of Laura on the bed. Her lips were blue, and the window had come open, whipping her blonde hair around her face. I was almost on top of her when her eyes flew open. They were milky white, the eyes of someone dead. Get out, she rasped, her voice guttural. I could hear the heartbeat faster and faster, drumming until I thought I couldn't take it anymore. Then I woke up. The sound had been real. Laura's heart was so loud, it felt like it would rupture my eardrums, and I screamed in agony, trying to cover my ears. It was useless. It was coming from some deep place inside of me. I could feel it reverberating around the hollows of my chest. I stumbled out of bed, gasping for air, and tried to find my phone. I needed to call someone, anyone, an ambulance or my mom, anyone that would pick up. Get out. It was a faint whisper over the hammering thumps of Laura's heart, a low guttural voice that sounded like it had been made by an animal. 
and I crawled to the door, down the hallway, choking on my screams for help. My neighbor opened the door, his eyes as wide as saucers at the sight of me on the floor clutching my chest. He drove me to the hospital as I cried in the passenger seat of his car. After about 50 different checkups, the doctors told me that absolutely nothing was wrong with me. They told me my heart was regular, my blood pressure was normal, and that everything was just swimmingly. I stood in the waiting area, wallowing in my shame and frustration. That heart didn't belong to me. My phone buzzed on the counter, an unknown number. Great, that was all I needed. More unexplained scary things, like a stranger on the end of the phone. My voice sounded small on the line. Hello? Good morning, this is the Thamus Valley Police. We've called to report an incident that occurred in your flat at around 1.30am today. I felt a wave of embarrassment. I'm so sorry, I recently had a surgery, I wasn't feeling well. I had to have my neighbor drive me to the hospital, and I think I panicked a little in the hallway before I left. There was a small silence on the other end of the line. I'm afraid this is something you might want to be sitting down for. I felt Laura's heartbeats, strong and calm. There was an accident of forced entry by Mr. Samuel Matthews. According to our police records, he's your ex-partner, and you filed a restraining order against him in September 2017. My blood ran cold. I did. He's in police custody. We found an automatic weapon on him and we believe he had an intent to harm you. We have an officer currently stationed at your flat who could fill you in depending on how long your hospital stay will be. I thanked them and hung up the phone. For a moment, I leaned against the wall, the horror slowly spreading over me. If I had been in my flat ten minutes later, he would have found me. Laura's heartbeats filled my ears again, but now they were gentle, calming. Her mother said and she dedicated every part of her to helping those who needed it. I put my hands on my chest, overwhelmed by my own gratitude, and listened to Laura.